You're listening to the High Performance Hoops Podcast, bringing you your one-stop shop on all things training, sports performance, nutrition for athletes, and aspiring coaches to enhance your training and help you crack the code on elite athletic performance with your host, Julian Lacosto. What up all my fellow Hoopers, basketball enthusiasts, and coaches out there? Welcome to episode 8 of the High Performance Hoops podcast brought to you by Challenger Strength. I am your host, Julian Lacosto, as always. If you're new here, hit the subscribe button. If you've been here before, throw us a rate, review, and subscribe. If you haven't, we love having you here as always. Guys, today I'm going to talk to you guys about a very important topic, especially for new coaches, um, guys that are new in the industry, Um, may have never really worked with an athlete before. And even for those that have worked with athletes in the past, but just kind of struggle with determining what you may need most in training, this is going to be an episode that you guys are going to get a lot of value out of. Um, More specifically, just understanding the intake process, um, which is essentially, you know, your first interaction with an athlete. And basically, you know, that's basically where the athlete comes in to your facility You know, we get a chance to talk to them one-on-one, going over basic areas of physical fitness, health, injury history, training age, training history, you know, things that may be areas of weakness in their game, what may be holding them back from excelling in their given sport and or the position within that given sport. And essentially, you know, what is the purpose of the intake process? You know, specifically the process that helps us design a program geared towards helping the athlete improve in their given sport. You know, the number one thing is you have to understand what the athlete needs to work on. You know, what does the athlete need to get better at their at their sport? Essentially, you know, they may already be really good at their sport. You know, chances are if you work in the private sector, there's two, you know, there's two vast like areas where you might see an athlete. You might see an athlete that's already very, very good at their sport, has a really high training age. You know, those are athletes that, you know, may already be really good at their sport. So the goal may be to just get them strong and get them healthy while continuing to do skill work. You know, that can often help hone in on their skills necessary to improve their on-court skill, whether that's, you know, shooting off the catch, shooting off the dribble, creating your own shot, making decisions off the pick and roll, etc. You know, this can get better by just putting the athlete in positions to get more exposure to the game and certain situations that create better decision making and help us improve their micro skills to improve their in-game abilities. You know, they might need, you know, then you have you know, other athletes that might be younger athletes or, you know, athletes that might not have the physical qualities needed to improve skill. These are athletes that you need to focus more on those physical qualities. So force production ability, accelerating, eccentric rate of force development, or just being able to decelerate, you know, reaccelerate and change direction, you know, getting more explosive, powerful to showcase their skill in game. You know, we lift in the weight room to improve and help foster, a particular skill, you know, the weight room itself is not, you know, the end all be all, but for young athletes that lack those physical qualities to express skill, you know, the weight room could be a great place um, to kind of improve and help foster any particular skill in their sport. And two, you know, we need to look to find 
relevant weaknesses to the athlete, their position, and their particular skill set. So if you're talking about a guy like Kyle Korver or Steph Curry, whose main asset is scoring the ball from deep, well, maybe getting them more explosive vertically may not be the number one weakness that's relevant to their success versus a LeBron or a Giannis that gets to the bucket by, you know, scoring based on like their bully ball style, you know, they're bullying the opposition into the paint and scoring at will from their physicality, their pure strength, um, athleticism. You know, if we're talking about a very young athlete, you know, they typically lack a ton of relevant weaknesses that hold them back from being better at their sport. You know, they lack size, strength, you know, the ability to produce force into the ground to both accelerate, decelerate, change direction, to do what they need to do to excel at their given position offensively and defensively. I talk about young athletes mainly because that's the population I and many young coaches in the private sector see. So we won't typically see a Giannis or a LeBron walk into our facility. So being able to understand how to program effectively for young athletes um, or even, you know, the, the typical high school, middle school athlete is crucial to the success of the athletic potential. And I'm, again, I'm talking about athletes ages like 10 to 12, all the way up to like 18 to 20, you know, you know, just being able to improve your physical qualities, um, early on is going to help a lot with your athletic potential. And next, you know, athletes need to have an understanding for these limitations, and they also need to be able to take ownership of them, basically acknowledging them during these initial intake processes, you know, and this could be, you know, you have, you have, as a coach, you have to ask these questions, you know, and a lot of athletes, this may sound like this to them, you know, I feel stuck in the mud when I'm on the court or on the field or on the ice, like I feel like I'm not moving fast, I feel like I'm just stuck, or You know, I get bumped off path very easily when going to the basket or, you know, I work with a lot of ice hockey players. So, you know, they may get stuck in a scrum with the puck and and they just feel like guys bump them and they get knocked off pretty easily. They're they're not able to maintain um, good stability and they're not able to maintain their position while fighting for the puck. You know, that could be an area there or, you know, I have trouble exploding to the rim. Or, you know, I feel like it takes me a long time to get started. Or, you know, I have a hard time guarding my position defensively. That's another big one. You know, I I think this segues greatly into what I believe most coaches don't do, but need to do more. And that is sitting down and actually watching the game. And if possible, watching some game film of the athlete that you're going to work with to get an idea for any limitations they may be giving you examples of. So, you know, a lot of the things that I just said, you know, whether it's feeling stuck in the mud, getting bumped off path pretty easily, you know, having trouble exploding, or, you know, maybe they have a hard time decelerating um, and changing direction, um, being able to guard their position. So maybe, you know, working in the frontal plane, moving laterally, they might struggle with these things. But as a coach, you know, if you're not actually being able to watch game tape or film, um, it's hard to see these examples, especially if you're a coach that's never worked in that sport. For me, basketball is a very easy sport to relate to because I played the game itself for many, many years. So when a, when a basketball player, if I'm working with a basketball player and they tell me a lot of these things in games, I have an idea of what I'm looking for, 
Plus, I watch a ton of the game as it is, so it helps. So watching film allows you to be to kind of better identify these limitations and then gives you an idea to convert those images into the scientific methods and means that we all know as coaches to basically improve those physical qualities. And, you know, I talk a lot about Joe DeFranco early on, especially in my coaching career. He talks a lot about this when he watched and worked with a lot of the guys for his NFL athletes during their combine prep, you know. So why is this pretty, um, why is this important, you know? Because as a coach, you want to have a better understanding for player movements. So whether that's, you know, what planes of motion are they working in? You know, how many numbers of accelerations, decelerations, changes of direction do they have in a single game or maybe in a within a given offensive or defensive set? You know, how many total, di- what's the total distance they're covering in a game? You know, what's the work to rest ratio or what energy systems are being displayed in a game? You know, what might be that player's playing style and or what type of um, team style of play is there? So are you a running gun type team? Are you more of a pa- um, uh, pace and space kind of team? Are you a defensive minded team where, you know, a lot of your buckets happen based off how well the defense is playing and then transition game? You know, those can all be very, very big in determining how you can approach training an athlete. And if you're able to watch the film and sit down, you know, Joe DeFranco talks a lot about how he would just literally watch an NFL game with a timer and he would just sit there and time every single play for an entire game. And from doing that, he's able to, you know, understand work to rest ratio, energy demands of the sport, and he's able to better program for his athletes um, for conditioning purposes and energy demand purposes. He's able to understand how he should be going about training the energy systems for those athletes just by simply timing plays. And then again, you know, understanding player movement, understanding number of excels, decels, and change of direction, those are massively important because then it gives you an idea of, okay, well, we shouldn't just be working in a straight line back and forth. We need to be working in the frontal plane. We need to be working rotationally, transverse plane, um, frontal plane. We need to be working multi, multi, uh, multi planner with a lot of these athletes. You know, it gives you that perspective. So now that we've identified any of those limiting factors and weaknesses holding them back in their sport, as well as the main physical attributes, energy systems, distance covered, playing style, team style of play, we need to first see where they fall on the spectrum in terms of their physical abilities. So in saying that, you know, we need to have a means of testing or key performance indicators to get a better sense, better idea of identifying where that athlete's baseline is to identify what they may need most in their training. So this goes hand in hand with conversations about previous training history, training age. So if you know the athlete has a higher training age, meaning they've, you know, trained on a consistent program for a few years, they have an idea of, you know, they have a good strength base already, they have a good foundation in the weight room, they may be able to handle higher levels of and more advanced means of training modalities 
plyometrics, whatever the case may be. They may be able to handle those higher, more advanced level modalities versus a younger athlete that has no real consistent training history or no previous training history at all where they they can really benefit from more rudimentary, fundamental jump training, training means that will kind of like yield better long-term results and success. So now we need to look at the sport what's more important, and have a system in place with key metrics that are reliable and repeatable to kind of determine and steer programming decisions and overall program success. For us, you know, that may be a vertical jump to determine vertical power and where the athlete may lie in relation to the force velocity curve. Essentially, we're looking to see if that athlete's more force reliant, um, speed velocity reliant, or if they're kind of in the middle ground. Um, So over at Challenger, we use a contact mat um, by Just Jump. It's a really great product. Um, And if you don't have that, there's alternatives. I've spoken in the past with our Programming 101 episode. Go back to that. I I named several different variations, and I'll also name a few here. Um, But essentially with the vertical jump testing, you know, We're doing a vertical jump with a counter movement to test our overall vertical power with both uh, speed and strength present um, versus a static jump, which essentially we're removing all use of the stretch reflex, um, stretch shortening cycle with a five second hold at the bottom of the jump and kind of maintaining hands on the hips, essentially seeing how much vertical power we could produce solely by using the strength in our legs. So essentially you would get two rounds of three jumps each, so six jumps total, um, to get a better idea of an average for both. Um, I typically rest three minutes in between rounds. Uh, That way it gives athletes the ability to have full rests and just be able to have max output for their next three jumps. Um, Once we have an average for both, we can take the average um, vertical jump versus the average static jump and get the difference and use that data to determine where the athlete falls on the force velocity curve. So essentially, um, the way it works for us is if there's a one to three inch difference, you're essentially more force reliant. Um, and you can kind of, um, you kind of have an issue with there's very minimal use of the stretch reflex. So essentially doing more high speed accelerated jump type exercises, more over speed work can really help. Um, that athlete in particular next uh, there's more if there's like a four to six inch difference you know essentially we can um, get a lot out of working both qualities so we use a lot of more moderate loaded jumps um, as well as normal jump training here for a lot of those athletes because you can get um, both the loaded jump for more force force base and then also normal jump training um, kind of working off that potentiated state and kind of working in more higher speeds afterwards to get both um, adaptations. And then lastly, if you're falling between that, you know, seven all the way up to 10 inches, you know, technically you're more velocity reliant, more speed reliant. So there's potential to improve by increasing total force output in your jumps, basically using heavier loaded jumps like trap bar jumps, heavier band loaded jumps, or um, what we like using, which is our depth jumps to kind of build off of eccentric rate of force development. Um, You know, Verkashansky talks a lot about um, 
depth jumps and how they've been able to improve strength at the point of reversal, essentially working on that eccentric to amortization phase and just kind of building up our ability to efficiently use stored elastic energy. So that's what we do um, using the Just Jump Mat. You know, if you don't have access to that technology, I love using a broad jump versus like a static broad jump. And we would just do the same protocol, seeing that, you know, essentially the broad jump is interrelated to horizontal power and forces um, that we see in acceleration, which is obviously a dominant quality seen in uh, team sport athletes. So I like that. And essentially we would run the same protocol, you know, two rounds of three jumps, you'd put out a measuring tape. um, Or if, you know, if you don't have that, um, you can, you know, obviously mark up something on the ground and then, you know, measure distances. But I love that. Um, and then if you are an advanced athlete, I even like the idea of going into like a single leg broad jump to really test um, limb differences. Um, and that more so can really, really carry over into acceleration because now we're getting, you know, single leg horizontal force output from both limbs and we could see differences there so i really like that idea as well so like i said you would run the same protocol two rounds three jumps each um the ladder of which the static jumps specifically you would just perform the broad jump with hands on the hips the whole time loading down into that half squat position holding a full five second pause at the bottom and then jumping forward again, keeping the hands on the hips to kind of make it more force dominant as opposed to the regular broad jump, which would use a full arm swing and uh, counter movement. Next, another, um, another thing that we are going to start utilizing a little more and I think has a lot of relevance with basketball players is the RSI testing or reactive strength index. And that could be used to assess leg stiffness. So basically, this could be described as essentially the resistance to deformation of the lower limb in response to applied forces at ground contact. Therefore, you know, obviously a certain amount of lower um, extremity stiffness is required for effective storage and reutilization of elastic energy in the stretch shortening cycle activities, which is considered to be a key attribute in enhancing in the enhancement of sprinting, jumping, and hopping-related activities seen in sport. So obviously, I wouldn't run this with very, very young athletes, but for more advanced athletes, I think this has a lot of merit. Um, for younger guys, you know, just you just need to improve physical qualities and kind of ride out basic training means, kind of milk those till they no longer see results before going into these more advanced methods. I'm saying if you have a very, very experienced athlete with a higher training age, this could be something that could be really beneficial, especially if you have the tech at your disposal, like us with the Just Jump Mat. I think this could be a really great um, means of developing an athlete's reactive strength abilities. And especially in sport, um, like basketball more so, I think this has a lot of merit. So if you are a coach listening to this and you have a ton of younger athletes, understand that this may not be something that you need to use right away. This could be something that you can have in your back pocket for when your athletes continue to grow with you and 
they get to the point where their training age is really high. You know, obviously their foundational um, strength and a lot of their physical qualities have improved since their earlier earlier training days and they can go into more advanced level training means. This could be something that you can have in your back pocket to just give you more data to help you steer programming decisions. Another great test that I think is really, really useful, um, and this could be done with athletes of all ages. You know, we do this a lot with our athletes is, you know, relative strength testing. Obviously, how strong are you in relation to your body weight? Um, For us, a simple chin-up test, and, you know, I talked a lot about this in the Programming 101 episode, so I'm not going to go too much into this. But obviously, you know, if you are able to put on good lean mass and improve on the number of chin-ups or even with our younger athletes that can't do a full chin-up, even just by holding your body weight above the bar and just improving on how long you can hold yourself above the bar, you know, chances are if you're able to put on a good amount of lean mass and improve your lean mass and also improving your number of chin-ups and or the duration that you're able to hold above the bar, chances are, you know, you've improved your strength in relation to how much you weigh. Vice versa, you know, obviously if numbers go down, but weight goes up, you know, that could one be a question of unnecessary hypertrophy work that you might be doing in your program, or the athlete has put on um, body mass more from fat not from good lean mass. So that could be a nutrition conversation you can have with an athlete, but this is a really good test nonetheless. And the same applies for the vertical jump as well and broad jump. Chances are if you've gained weight but improved your power numbers, that is a good um, that is a good indicator of relative strength and also power improvements in relation to how much you weigh. And then lastly, another test that you can keep in your back pocket for basketball players specifically, this will coincide with more of the advanced level athletes. So this falls in line with the same as the RSI testing. Um, Just something that we've been talking a lot about at Challenger about implementing with some of our um, older athletes is the repeat hop test. So the four hop test. And again, this is just a really good test to see lower body stiffness and overall efficiency in the use of the stretch shortening cycle. So I really, really enjoy that. Um, And again, I think there is a ton of merit when it comes to, um, to basketball players specifically. So guys, I think that's a good point to stop for today. Um, I think there's been a ton of gems put out in this episode alone. Again, if you're a new coach in the industry, I really do think that you are going to get a ton of value out of this conversation just because I really do think that this is an important topic to discuss, especially for coaches that have never really worked with an athlete yet one-on-one. This could be a really good episode to take a ton of information away and kind of be able to understand how to steer programming decisions and just overall what you should be looking for in your first interactions with an athlete. So take that as you will, guys. You know, I'm going to cut out for today. If you're enjoying the show, guys, please throw us a rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps a ton. 
And again, for all those that have been here before, we love having you here. Um, I'm signing out. Peace. <laughs>